Good evening, morning, midday, whenever you're listening to this. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Monsters and Murder. I am Sam. And I'm Shane. And it's Saturday. Is it Saturday before the Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. I have zero interest in football. Same. I did get some chips and salsa, which I'll probably eat tomorrow, and some hot dogs. Um, <laughs> I always but, have chips and salsa on hand. <laughs> I usually always have salsa. I don't usually buy chips. But mm-hmm. um, at Food Line this week, if you bought the salsa, you got the chips for free. So I was like, okay, That's it's a awesome. sign. I'm getting it. Yes. And it's the blue corn tortilla chips, the organic ones that are really good. So, Ooh. yeah. So that, that was my uh, shopping trip for groceries wrapped up. Yeah. Got really excited about that. <laughs> oh, and I told Shane, I know I'm an adult. Because I got really excited when the Good Reynolds aluminum foil wrap was on sale. It's the recycled kind. It was on sale for a dollar fifty a roll, guys. So I bought <laughs> two, and I was so excited. I got home. I was like, "This is the steal of the grocery trip." Yes, so. that's we both love sales so much. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I I know that I'm getting old when I get excited about aluminum foil. <laughs> so anyway, um. So tonight, I am going to give trigger warnings for sexual assault, brutality, overall just creepiness. Like, mm-hmm. this is a case, when I read about this case, it made my skin crawl. It is something straight out of Criminal Minds. It is very scary. Okay. Very scary. Mm-hmm. So... We will go ahead and get into it. Yes. Though before we begin, let me just warn listeners, I am battling some nice little sinus gunk. I will try my best not to cough as we talk, but there might be one or two. So my apologies in advance. Yes. <laughs> and I'm, I'm gunk free at the time. So <laughs> anyway, all right, we'll go ahead and get started. So tonight we're going to, well, I'm going to be telling you about the murder of Sierra Joggin. Okay. Another murder that I unfortunately have not heard about. Fortunately, you have not. Like, these are, like, when I'm researching these cases, the number of, like, we will never run out of things to talk about, unfortunately. Because Sadly. people are monsters. hmm People are monsters. Yeah. So, did not plan this, but um, Sierra Catherine Joggin was born on February 11th, 1996. What's today? Oh, it's totally, so the day we're recording, listeners, is February 11th. And I was not supposed to do this case for a while, but because of schedule changes, we are doing it today, and Mm -hmm. I did not realize it. Wow. Yeah. So she was born on February 11th, 1996, to parents Sheila and Tom. She was the first of five children. Mm -hmm. She had two younger brothers and two younger sisters. And from the moment that she was born, Sierra was the light of her mother's life. Sheila stated that after she had Sierra, she didn't think she wanted to have any more children because Sierra was so perfect. Oh, like, wow. She, yes. Did she say this to her other children? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, probably not because, like, you love all your children equally. Yes. But the first one is just like, mm-hmm. how can I love another one as much as I love this one? True. And then it happens and you're like, oh, that's how. It just <laughs> happens. So, um, although, except for me, I'm pretty sure my mom loves me more than she loves my brothers. <laughs> and I will tell him that. If you're listening, Matt, mom likes me more, okay? (laughs) Uh, Growing up, Sierra was kind, and she was funny, and she was, like, super spunky, independent, and athletic. Mm -hmm. She played volleyball all throughout high school, and then she played intramural when she was in college. She was extremely confident. Her mother said that Sierra just felt comfortable in who she was. She had the kind of confidence that girls in their teens want mm-hmm. I feel like, at least speaking for me I was super insecure as a teenager I didn't know who I was I was like trying to be somebody else for other people yes. to like me I think we all were yeah that was not Sierra Sarah was like this is who I am and if you like it great and if you don't great you don't have to be my friend <laughs> that is awesome yeah she loved horses and she loved spending time with her family she was actually really close with her aunt her aunt Tara who was like a second mother to her mm-hmm And during a visit to Tara's house when Sierra was seven, she met one of her cousin's best friends, Josh. And after that, Sierra and Josh were best friends. And they stayed best friends. When they entered high school as freshmen, they began dating. Aww. And they had a great relationship. They They were young, but they were just like a super fun couple who liked to travel together, spend time together. They liked being outdoors. Mm hmm. They dated all four years of high school, 
And when Sierra began her college career at University of Toledo, because we are in Metamora, Ohio tonight. Um, so when she began her college career at University of Toledo, she and Josh were in like, both in full agreement that marriage was in the future, but it had to come after Sierra graduated. Uh-huh. She had dreams of re- working in human resource management. So in July of 2016, Sierra has returned home to Metamora, Ohio for summer vacation. And she's getting in as much time as she can with her family and friends and with Josh before she goes to study abroad sophomore year. Mm-hmm. On July 19th, 2016, the family had just gotten home from a vacation and were finally getting unpacked and settled back into their everyday routine. You know, like unpacking, cleaning the house, getting groceries, whatever, getting ready yes. to go back to work. Uh-huh. That afternoon, between 4 and 5... <laughs> Sierra told her mom she was going to ride her bike over to Josh's house. Sierra had just purchased a purple, like, mountain bike at mm-hmm. a garage sale. Ooh. Yes. And but she hadn't really gotten the chance to ride it. You know, they went on vacation. Mm-hmm. You know. And Josh lived about seven and a half miles away. Um, for me, biking is scary in general. <laughs> um, but... She was going to be using this 15-ish mile round trip bike ride as her workout for the day. As someone who doesn't bike, I don't know if that's a lot or a little, but as someone who doesn't, it sounds like a lot. I guess in a way it is. Like, I have biked a little, not nearly as much as I want to. And like her, I bought my bike at a garage sale as well. Yeah. Um, so it could be, and for her, she was probably in shape, so it's probably really nothing for her. <laughs> How much do you think our loop is that we normally do around our neighborhood? Like... If we go all the way down and then back up. Oh, goodness. I really Maybe have like no idea. Miles? You think? I have no clue. I'll, I'm going to time it. Not mm-hmm. tomorrow because we're supposed to get snow tomorrow and I'm so excited. <laughs> um, but maybe Monday. I'm going to time it. Not time it. I'm going to see how yes. many miles it is. There you and go. then like multiply that by like five. I know I couldn't do that. Yeah. Anyway, she and her mom said their goodbyes, said they would see each other later in the evening and Sierra headed out. She did make it safely to Josh's house, and when she got there, she was happy. She was in a good mood. Sierra was generally always in a good mood. Mm-hmm. Um, the two hung out for a little bit, and then around six thirty, Sierra was like, "You know what? Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna head back home." So she gets on her bike, and Josh was a little bit worried about Sierra riding that distance alone. I mean, it's summer; it's not like it's gonna get dark soon, but. Josh was worried about the woman that he loved riding home. Yeah. I was getting ready to ask what season was. It's in summer. You're right. It's it's not daylight. If it was winter, it would have looked like it was 3 o'clock in the morning outside. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And so at this time, Sierra is 20 years old. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, you know, I'm an adult, but whatever. Ride along with me. So she gets on her bike and he gets on his motorcycle. Mm -hmm. Now they're in Ohio. In the middle of nowhere, surrounded by cornfields. That is that. They're very rural. Not a lot there, just a bunch of corn. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um, and so that's one reason why he was worried. Because Sierra, like, the trip was going to be just down long stretches of road. Mm-hmm. With literally nothing around her except for rows and rows of corn. Uh-huh. So he gets on his motorcycle and he was going to ride along beside her. And as she's getting closer to home, she turned around and she's like, Josh, like, you can go home. I'll be fine. I can make it the rest of the way home. Mm -hmm. And at this point, she was probably between like a mile and half a mile away from her house. And he was like, are you sure? She assured him, yes. Mm -hmm. I'm good. I'm 20 years old. I got this. I know how to get home. (laughs) Yes. So Josh said okay, and he watched Sierra start biking back towards home before turning his motorcycle around and then going back to his house. Mm Mm-hmm. So, around 9.30 that evening, Sheila, Sierra's mom, was coming back home. And when she was driving down her street, she always looked up at her house. And she could see inside Sierra's bedroom. Uh-huh. And I watched, um, so there were two different programs that I watched. And one of them, I'll list them because I can't remember the names, but I will list them. Um, one of them said that Sheila actually took class in the evening. Mm-hmm. So, as she was coming home from class, she looked up and... She normally saw Sierra's light on, but tonight she didn't see Sierra's light on in her bedroom. And she was like, that's odd, but I'm not really concerned. Yeah. 
Sierra's an adult. She's home on summer break. And Shayla figured she was probably still with Josh. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting in as much time together because Sierra would be leaving the country in a few weeks. Yeah. So about 10.15 that evening, Shayla gets a call from Josh asking her if Sierra is home. Oh, no. And Shayla was like, no, I assume she was with you. And Josh told her that he'd last seen Sierra a little before 7 p.m. when she headed back towards her house on her bike. He said he'd been trying to reach Sarah since around 8, but she was not responding to text and her phone was going straight to voicemail. And that wasn't at all like Sierra. Mm -mm. If Josh called or texted, Sierra answered or responded. Sheila couldn't get in touch with uh, Sierra either. So... Sheila called her parents, Sierra's grandparents, who lived just down the road, hoping that maybe Sierra had stopped in to visit with them. Because, uh-huh. again, Sierra's super close with her family. And they said, no, Sierra's not here. Her grandpa even went to look in their barn to see if maybe she'd parked her bike in there and had just, like, been out walking around, and her bike wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So, panic set in almost immediately. And Sheila and some of Sierra's family went out looking for her. And they were driving along the path she would have taken to Josh's and had been would have been on when she was riding her bike mm-hmm. back home. They thought that maybe Sierra had accidentally been hit by a farmer Ooh. and was, like, laying in a ditch with maybe a broken leg. And this does happen. Mm-hmm. Like, some of the machinery that farmers operate in that area is extremely large. And there have been several instances where they've, like, hit or ran over someone or one of their animals and didn't know it until after they saw, like, it had happened. But Sierra's family, they did not find anything on that search. Mm -hmm. So when Sheila got home, she immediately began reaching out to Sierra's friends on social media, but nobody had seen or heard from her. So then she contacted the Metamora police to report that Sarah was missing. And around this time, it's about 11 p.m.-ish. Uh-huh. So, even though Sierra would not technically be considered a missing person for 24 hours because she was a legal adult, officers were notified that there was a missing young, young woman that had last been seen riding a bike down County Road 6. Mm-hmm. So, an officer who happened to be riding down that stretch of road... Um, started paying close attention. Mm-hmm. And late on the evening um, of the 19th and into the early morning hours of July 20th, he noticed that on one side of the road, there was a section of corn that appeared to have been knocked over. Uh-huh. I mean, I guess for you and me, we don't see that every day, so we probably <laughs> would be like, oh, that's just how it's supposed to look. <laughs> yeah. But if you live there and you ride that stretch of road every day, you know that the corn is supposed to be standing up the mm-hmm. whole way. So he's like, this is weird. The corn is not supposed to be knocked over. Uh-huh. So he pulled his car over and got out to investigate. Immediately upon entering the field, he noticed a strong smell of gasoline, which even I know the corn's not supposed to smell like that. <laughs> no. So he also found a fuse box and a pair of sunglasses, which, again, are not items typically found in a cornfield. No. So, this was reason enough for him to become suspicious, and he starts backing out of the cornfield. And as he's doing so, he's shining his flashlight around to see if he could spot anything else that looked suspicious. Mm -hmm. And looking around, he found a pair of women's sunglasses. And he's like, that's weird too yes um and then his light hit something and it was a reflector and as he looked a little bit further into the cornfield he realized that he was looking at a purple bike that had been backed into the roads of the cornfield oh it was like someone had placed it there so Mm -hmm. it would not be seen uh i knew like well i knew a few minutes ago i'm like the shoe has dropped (sighs) she is missing it it's there's something I think it's like being, and I say being out in the elements, but like being surrounded by something that's corn, Mm -hmm. so peaceful. Like really, a field is a peaceful place for me. Yes. Having something so just sinister feeling, like all those little elements 
alone, that's not scary. Mm-hmm. But all of them together being in a place where they're not supposed to be is so terrifying. Yeah, it's. I, I think fields, too, are very relaxing. Unless it's a cornfield, but that's only because I like the Children of the Corn movie. So I just always assume there's a cult of children worshipping the devil somewhere. I just the- really <laughs> like corn. But, yes, I know what you mean. So, at some point in the evening, Sierra's mother was contacted by a friend stating that there were officers that had parts of County Road 6 closed. So, Sierra's mother goes there immediately, but officers would not allow her in the closed section, Mm -hmm. and they would not tell her what they had found. It was later that morning when officers arrived to let Sheila know they'd found a bike that matched the description of Sierra's. Uh Uh-huh. Um, multiple multiple family members had gathered at the home waiting for word about Sierra. And when they found out that a bike matching the description of Sierra's bike had been found, they were all, like, beside themselves, wanting to know where she was. So, because Josh was the last person to see Sierra, officers wanted to speak with him about what transpired on the evening Sierra disappeared. And Josh agreed. He's like, yep, I'll tell you everything. Mm-hmm. So he told them that Sierra had stopped by his house the previous evening. They'd hung out till about 6.30, and then she decided to go home. And he said, I was worried about her, so I followed her part of the way there on my motorcycle until she turned around and was like, hey, go home. It's getting late. I can make it on my own. And there are photos. Along the way, Josh had been taking photos and videos of him and Sierra. Yeah. Um, And you can see, like, Sierra was, like, she looked happy. She looked comfortable. Mm-hmm. She looked relaxed. Like, she riding alongside Josh. You see Josh's arm in the photo and Sierra just smiling. And officers can see in the photo that Sierra was wearing, like, a gray and neon green, neon green athletic top. Mm-hmm. Athletic shorts that looked to kind of be black with, like, a neon green stripe down the side. Green and gray sneakers and neon green socks. Like, she was put together... On her bike. She coordinated really well, it sounds she like. She did, yes. And she was sitting on a checkered towel to mm-hmm. provide, like, some more cushion on the bike seat. Yeah. Josh stated that it was approximately 6.43 p.m. when he and Sierra said their final goodbyes, and he turned his motorcycle around to go home. hmm And at this point, as any family would be, Sierra's family was desperate to find her. So, in an attempt to feel like they were doing something and not just sitting there, they wanted to be proactive. So, her Aunt Tara began calling local hospitals and then hospitals in surrounding areas to see if there were any unidentified women that were being treated in the facility. And when she called a hospital in nearby Detroit, um, she was actually informed that there was a young woman there, a young identified woman there, that was in bad condition after she jumped from a car... Um, and she matched Sierra's description down to the scar on the back of her leg and a pierced belly button. Wow. Yep. Um, the idea that Sierra had been a victim of human trafficking was something that was floating around with authorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and upon hearing that there's this unidentified woman in a hospital in Detroit, Sierra's family was like, maybe that was what happened to her. Um, because Toledo, Ohio is only 30 minutes away from Metamora, and it is the third largest human trafficking hub in the United States. Oh. Yep. Um, once a person becomes a victim of human trafficking, they can be taken anywhere in just, a, like, a short amount of time. And, like, I don't, I mean, I'm past the age for a woman that would be trafficked, <laughs> but the fact that it still happens, and it's, like, a huge... It's not something that's talked about a lot, but it is a huge problem. Like, it is. It is very terrifying. If you look at the statistics, it is absolutely, you don't want to sleep at night. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, the young woman found in Detroit was not Sierra. She was identified as, some, as someone else. Oh, no, but how did she match it so well? Match the description so well. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, agents from the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation were called in on the morning of July 20th, so the morning after she disappeared, and they began searching the field. So when the um, the Ohio Bureau of Investigation, those agents, started searching the field, they found a motorcycle track in the cornfield, a green sock 
Oh, no. That appeared to have blood on it. An orange-handled screwdriver that appeared to have blood on it. And a checkered towel that appeared to have blood on it. None of this is good. Nope. Along the path, there were several broken corn stalks that appeared to have dry blood on them. Officers had put out a public appeal for anyone in the area to come forward with any information they may have regarding Sierra's disappearance. Investigators working her case received a call from a local resident stating that he'd found something peculiar the previous evening as he was driving along County Road 6. Mm-hmm. He and his son were driving down the road, and he'd seen a motorcycle helmet laying on the side of the road. So he pulled over, had his son jump out and grab it. His son tossed it on the back of the truck, and they went home and didn't think anything else of it. Until the following morning when he was listening to the news and saw that there was a missing girl that had that had gone missing on that same road. Mm-hmm. So he called investigators, and when they came out to examine the helmet, they saw what appeared to be dried blood on the helmet. And they theorized that this helmet could have been used as a weapon to knock someone unconscious, which is absolutely terrifying. Yes. So, at this early point in the investigation, after the motor tricycle, motor <laughs> the motorcycle tracks had been found, Josh became a person of interest. Oh, no. Because he was the last person to see Sierra, and he admitted he was on a motorcycle the last time that he saw her. Uh-huh. So, officers went to speak with Josh again. And Josh was extremely cooperative. He told investigators, you can search whatever you want. You can search my, my phone, my house, my truck, search it all. He answered his questions, and he turned over his phone to them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> When investigators searched the back of Josh's truck, they found a pair of brown overalls with stains closely resembling blood mm. all over them. Because Josh, he's a farmer, right? <laughs> Josh agreed. He's like, yeah, it's blood, but it's not Sierra's. He uh-huh. said, I'm a hunter, and that blood came from a deer that I'd been skinning the other day. And when it was tested, it was verified to be, to be animal blood. Okay. Officers found nothing on Josh's phone or in his home, that would indicate that he was being untruthful. There was no evidence at all that Josh hurt Sierra. Um, and he didn't. Like, I'll tell you now, like, Josh okay. did not hurt her. Mm-hmm. He was really just, like, distraught and stressed that the police considered him a suspect for even a second. Um, he said he understood why they had to because they had to rule everybody out. And he was the last person that saw Sierra. Yeah. But he said he would never hurt Sierra or anyone else for that matter. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't do it. He was quickly ruled out by investigators. And Sierra's family never considered Josh to be a suspect or involved in her disappearance. Like, it never crossed their minds. And they could see just how hurt it was Mm -hmm. that he knew that people may consider him that. Like, Josh and Sierra had plans for the future. And they were going to get married. They were going to have a family. And, like, that just was, it was taken away. Mm -hmm. Um, In the years since Sierra's death, Josh said that he relives that last moment of seeing Sierra right away on almost a daily basis. And he carries a tremendous amount of guilt for not riding those extra few miles home with her. But it's it's not, I mean, I know I would do, I would feel the exact same way. Me too. Um, and, it, and it's hard for someone like that to let go of that feeling. Yeah, but, I mean, Josh did, Josh is not responsible for what no, happened to absolutely Sierra. absolutely not. Like, that was completely out of his control. Mm-hmm. On July 21st, investigators arrived at the home of James D. Worley to see if he had any information about Sierra's disappearance. Now, I've seen conflicting reports on how they ended up at his property, Um, One stated that police were searching the criminal offender registry and got his name. Another stated they were just going to the residence of people living in the area, like nearby where Sierra was suspected to have been Mm -hmm. abducted. Um, Either way, they end up at the home of James Worley. James Worley is like a 40 or 50-something older man that was living home with his mother. Now, initially, he was cooperative and cordial. Uh However... Things began to get real weird, real fast, and the day ended 
having investigators taking James Worley to the police station for questioning, and having an official search warrant issued while they were still on site. Oh. So, when officers arrived at his home, James wanted to know why they were there. Mm-hmm. And they told him it's because a young woman had gone missing very close by to his property. He told officers that there hadn't been any women there. He said, you know, I'm not dating anybody. I'm trying to date online. Um, but I did have a date come over. But when she left, she was alive when she left. <laughs> which is good. Yes. Way to go. Not kill somebody that you meet online. Yes. Good job, James. Um, and when questioned about the previous evening, he told officers he'd gone out on a ride on his motorcycle. Oh, no. He said that he had started out on County Road U, but it stalled. Mm-hmm. He got it up and running, only to have it stall again a short time later on County Road 6. Uh-oh. He said he'd pulled over beside a field where he'd seen two bikes laying on the ground. One was blue and one was gray. Neither was purple. Okay. He told investigators that he pushed his motorcycle through the rows of corn to hide it because he had initially planned on stealing one of the bikes and riding that home. All right. But he changed his mind about abandoning his motorcycle in the field. He then alternated between saying he'd gotten it running again and he rode it home and saying he pushed it home. Mm -hmm. Either way, both accounts led to James Worley being home by 10 p.m. Now, he did throw in this little tidbit of information that he lost a couple things when his bike broke down. He lost his helmet, a fuse box, and a screwdriver. How crazy, right? What a coincidence. Um, when he told the officers that those items, or when the officers told him that those items had been found and they appeared to have blood on them, he denied knowing how that got there. But... He did ask if officers had any evidence against him, you know, like fingerprints. Why would you ask that? Although he had been somewhat cordial in the beginning, his answers were so weird and so creepy. Mm -hmm. He kept calling the officers like dude and man. He said he wasn't out there killing chicks. <laughs> like, just because you say you're not doing it doesn't mean we exactly. believe you. Creepy. Mm -hmm. So after things started getting creepy... James agreed to walk investigators around his property. Now, on this property sat the main residence, which he shared with his aging, sick mother. Uh-huh. Two barns, a workshop, and a trailer. The first building they entered was the workshop, where James did small engine repairs, and where you can clearly see a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. He became visibly unnerved when investigators entered the north barn to search it. Immediately upon entering, one of the officers noticed a rake that was leaning against one of the walls and fresh rake marks on the ground as though to conceal, like, whatever had recently happened there. Uh -huh. And he's like, okay, that's creepy. And you can hear the audio mm -hmm. of the officer saying to himself, like, there's a, there's a rake, what happened? Um... It was clear that James wanted them to get out of there, and he tried to get them out. He was like, man, it's too damn hot in here. we got to get out of here. <laughs> and so he's trying to direct them to the other end of the barn. Mm -hmm. um, but because he agreed to, like, have them come out and look around, they're searching. Yeah. He's there. He's present. Um, and as they're searching, they see several bales of hay, which is not odd in and no. of itself because it's a damn barn. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, as they begin moving the bales of hay, this is what creeped me out. They found a green wooden box covered in chicken wire, and that is creepy as fuck. Yes. It's not like a fully enclosed box. Mm -hmm. It's like it has slats that you can see through, uh -huh. but it's covered in chicken wire. Yes. So when the lid of this storage box was opened... Officers could see that James had several pieces of lingerie and women's clothing items, all in clear Ziploc-looking bags with the name of the item written on them. Yeah, if you guys could see Shane's face, his jaw is on the floor. Yes! 
James was extremely angry when they asked, like, why do you have a crate full of lingerie? Mm-hmm. And he told investigators, that's not weird, man. That's not weird. He told investigators that was girlfriend stuff. <laughs> and that it was all brand new. And he and he said he none of it had ever been worn. He said there were items that he would give his dates. Now, I'm just going to say, as a woman <laughs> who has tried dating online... Mm-hmm. It does not matter how into my date I am. If he pulls out some lingerie and he's like, just, just a gift for you, I'm be like, uh, fucker, you should have brought me some chocolate. That was done. <laughs> I don't want that. Date over. Yes. Oh, my God. And then especially, like, in a Ziploc bag. Like, wait, was it? It was all labeled. Just it was new, like or? He said they were new. He said he ordered them. But there's on no, this. like, hangers or labels on them, right? No. Okay. He said that he ordered them from this, like, super cheap website. So, if you, I don't know how many of you, I'm sure you guys know about, like, Shein or, like, uh-huh. Romwe, something like that, where it's, like, super cheap overseas. You wait, like, six months to get it, but you only pay, like, a dollar for it. And then it's doll furniture or doll clothing when it comes Sometimes, in. Sometimes, <laughs> yes. But he said he got he got them all from something like that. Mm-hmm. So, he has this huge-ass crate full of cheap lingerie, which, again, if you're going to buy me lingerie, don't. You, it better be expensive. <laughs> don't buy me the cheap stuff. Yes, but also not when you don't just meet. Don't give it to me. No. Not when we first meet. But no. No. <laughs> but he was like, you know, it's completely normal. Don't don't be worried about that. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but investigators were like, why does this man have all this stuff stored in this box? Yes. Wrapped in chicken wire. Buried under bales of hay in a barn really far from the house. Mm-hmm. It was suspicious. Yes, it's very mm-hmm. suspicious. Yep. And so I'm going to give a little bit of a trigger warning here. Like, it's not... Skip ahead, like, two seconds if you don't want to hear <laughs> about it. Um, it was very suspicious. And as investigators looked deeper into the box, they found a pair of purple panties that appeared to have red stains on them. Oh, no. Yep. And so it was at this point that James Worley was taken to the police station for further questioning. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, if things aren't getting creepy, or aren't already creepy, hold on to your buttholes, because <laughs> it's about to get even scarier. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean no disrespect to the family or yeah. to Sierra. It just, this is really dark, mm-hmm. and I tend to lean towards funny, because I get uncomfortable talking about very dark stuff. Uh-huh. So, authorities continued searching his property and the green storage box with, like, with James after he had been taken into custody. Mm-hmm. So, he's at the police station, authorities are on site, and their authorities with James and authorities on site are communicating. Yes. So, this was a big storage box. Aside from the bags of clothes and lingerie, they also discovered latex gloves, a roll of white clothesline, brown rope. A piece of duct tape with hair, straw, and a few other debris stuck to it. Bondage, clothing, and restraints. And a pink sex toy in this box. Ew. Why is that in your barn, James? Yes. Why is that in your barn? Mm-hmm. So at this point, they are fully convinced that he had something to do with Sierra's disappearance. And they're hoping to find her alive because at this point she's only been missing a few days. And as James says, he's being questioned further about what had happened or what he, what they found. He indicated, you know, guys, like, I'm actually walling off part of the barn to create a film studio. You see, James wanted to produce porn films. Oh, God. In his creepy-ass barn. Ugh. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, continuing to search the barn, investigators have stated that there were some bales of hay that were arranged to look like a four-poster bed that you would lay a mattress in the middle of. And I thought that was odd. But then they found a blow-up mattress hidden behind a piece of plywood. And the more they searched, the more this barn became a scene from a horror movie. Yeah. They found black duct tape. And a piece of white rope. Mm-hmm. So, after moving several more bales of hay, they noticed a piece of plywood in the floor that looked to have air holes drilled in it. Oh, God. 
And when investigators lifted the plywood, they found a hole in the ground. And sitting inside that hole was a freezer. Oh my. Yep. And it had a toe strap on it, like, to keep the lid closed. Uh Uh-huh. So, investigators were hoping that... They were hoping and not hoping that they were going to find Sierra. Yes. They were hoping that they were going to find her and that she would be okay. Mm-hmm. So, upon pulling the freezer out of the hole, they opened it. The freezer was empty, but it had been lined with green carpet and it smelled like bleach. Ugh. Mm-hmm. So, when authorities at the station questioned James about the freezer, he was like, oh, you know what, guys? Um, that's actually where I hide my weed. So, NBD, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Just where I put my weed. Um, and when questioned about the air mattress, he said, oh, that? That old thing? I use that for camping. First you're of camping all, in your stupid barn? No. Well, and if you're going camping, you're not walking around with a fully blown up air mattress, you dumbass. <laughs> He seemed to have an explanation, albeit shitty explanation, yes. but he had an explanation for everything. Mm-hmm. So then they search his vehicles. Inside of his red Chevrolet S10 pickup, authorities found a black ski mask, pepper spray, a roll of duct tape, and zip ties. In his green Dodge Dakota pickup, they found white rope, black electrical tape, and zip ties. One of the investigators said it was almost like he had a kidnapping kit in every single vehicle that he owned. Good grief. Why, why, you don't need those. No. Why are you riding around with pepper spray? Again, all these things on their own, not scary. Mm -hmm. If you need zip ties, there's a lot of things you could use zip ties for. Black electrical tape, same thing. A ski mask, yeah. Pepper spray, okay. But when you put all those together, it's like you're saying, hey, please call the cops because I'm about to murder somebody. Yes. So, preliminary examination of the tires from his truck were compared with tire casts taken at the scene of the abduction, and they appear to match the tires of his green Dodge Dakota. Of course they do. Yep. Authorities found a lot of evidence at James Worley's residence, but they did not find Sierra there. So the next morning, authorities get a call from a local farmer stating that he noticed a strange mound of dirt on his property, and he became worried about what it could be. Um, when investigators arrived, the mound appeared to be a fresh burial site. Mm. So they began digging. And pretty soon into this, they began to smell the scent of human decomposition. And this is where they found Sierra. Oh, God. Yep. Um, And I'm going to talk a little bit about how they found her. So, just a heads up, it's going to get dark. Mm Mm-hmm. Sierra was found laying on her stomach. She was bound with both handcuffs and duct tape. She had essentially been hogtied with her hands and her feet behind her back tied together. She had a hairline fracture on the left side of her skull and another head wound on the right side that had caused significant bleeding. Um, She had a dog toy stuffed in her mouth that was being used as a gag. And the autopsy revealed that she had died from asphyxiation. Oh my God. Yep. James Worley was then formally arrested and charged with the abduction and murder of Sierra Joggin. Mm-hmm. Authorities believe that on the night Sierra disappeared, James Worley had passed Sierra on his motorcycle when she was riding her bike and decided right then and there he was going to take her. So he pulled over to the side of the road, and as Sierra is riding her bike past him, he struck her in the face with his helmet and knocked her down. Oh my God. Which would have left the marks found on her head during the autopsy. Mm-hmm. He then pulled her body into the field and tied her up and left her laying in the field amongst the rows of corn while he went home to get his truck. He then loaded Sierra in his truck and then took her back to the barn where he assaulted and ultimately murdered her. He, of course, denied all of this. Of course he did. Yep. 
But when the case went to trial, the prosecution had more than enough evidence to prove his guilt. DNA testing was able to show that the bloodstains found on James Worley's helmet were consistent with Sierra's. Um, with an expected frequency of one in one trillion. Meaning if you tested one trillion people, only one person would have that DNA profile. And that was mm-hmm. Sierra's. The blood found in the underwear that they discovered in the green storage box belonged to Sierra. Sierra's DNA was found on the air mattress, the piece of duct tape in the green storage box, and on a roll of paper towels that had been found in the barn. Additionally, a latex glove had been found in the cornfield where Sierra had been abducted, Mm -hmm. and both James and Sierra's DNA was inside that glove. Police had also done a forensic analysis of James' computer. And they discovered that he'd frequently visited the same porn site throughout 2015 and 2016. Mm -hmm. And he was searching terms like beaten down teen, hogtied teen, rough pickups, among others. I'm not going to blame them all because it's extremely disturbing and really gross. Uh Uh-huh. But yeah, needless to say, he was disgusting, which I've realized I say that word a lot, but like that's the word to use for someone Mm -hmm. like that. That's disgusting. It is. Very much so. Yep. So the prosecution also showed photos of James that were taken after his arrest in which scratches and bruises can be seen on his arms, neck, and shoulders. He also had a cut on his finger. And if this isn't enough, there was a unique key on James Worley's keychain that was identical to the key to the handcuffs found on Sierra Joggin. And finally... The prosecution introduced testimony from Robin Gardner. Who was Robin Gardner, you ask? Mm-hmm. Let me tell you. Robin Gardner is the woman James Worley abducted or attempted to abduct in 1990. Oh. On July 4th, 1990, Robin, is, Robin was riding along a rural country road on her bicycle. It was the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. And she'd only been riding a few minutes, and she was debating on whether or not to turn around and go back home because her family was having a cookout. And so she's having this, like, conversation with herself, and she's like, you know what? Like, I hear a car coming up behind me when this – it was a truck. When this truck passes, I'm going to turn around I'm going to go back home Uh because I want to hang out with my family and enjoy this dang cookout. Yes. So she's having this conversation, and then she feels the impact of the truck hit her bike, and it forced her into the ditch. So it kind of, you know, dazed her. Mm-hmm. But as she's standing up, she sees the driver of the truck approaching, and he asked if she was okay. And she said that she was okay, and she kind of let her guard down a little bit because this man seems interested in how she feels. Yes. And so she's turning around, and as she's turning around, this man hit her on the back of the head with a hammer and held a screwdriver to her throat. My God. He told her that if she didn't get into his truck, he would kill her. So as he's forcing her into his truck, he's trying to handcuff her. Mm -hmm. And she sees another vehicle approaching. So she was able to break free and run to the other vehicle with the set of handcuffs still attached to her right arm because he was able to get it around one of her Uh arms. The man in the truck took Robin home, and they called authorities immediately. Authorities went to the scene where the abduction almost took place. And guess what they found when they got there? The hammer? James Worley just sitting there waiting on them. He was waiting? Mm-hmm. Yep. He said, yeah, I hit Robin, but she was riding her bike in an erratic pattern, and I accidentally hit her. And yeah, I handcuffed her, but only because she was hysterical, and I was trying to calm her down so I could go get help. He just... He's a dumbass. Yes, yes. I mean, I'm glad he is because this is how he's getting caught, but still. Every time he opens his mouth, we just need to hear Red Foreman saying, dumbass. Like, <laughs> yes. he, don't even give him a chance to speak because he's fucking stupid. Exactly. James Worley only served three years. What? Of his sentence for the attempted, attempted abduction of Robin. He was originally sentenced, I think, to 10 or 20, but only served three yeah. Why Ridiculous. are we letting people like anytime I hear something like that, I'm like, you are letting violent offenders out of prison when you have people sitting in there for decades on drug charges. Yeah. Let's do something about this. Exactly. Let's, you know, rehabilitation 
send people with drug addictions, get them help. Yes. Because they need help. Violent offenders, that's who we can keep locked away yes. for decades. I was getting ready to say, lock them up, throw away the key. <sighs> so, when it was the defense's turn, they tried to state that someone else had killed Sierra. Mm-hmm. And they planted evidence in his barn. At one point when James had a turn to speak... <sighs> <laughs> He essentially said that he couldn't believe Sierra wasn't raped because she was so beautiful. Yeah. At that statement, members of Sierra's family got up and they left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, thankfully, the jury did not buy anything that James and his defense was trying to sell. And he was sentenced to death for the abduction and murder of Sierra Joggin. He is currently scheduled for execution in May of 2025. Authorities continue to search the Worley residence after he was convicted because they do believe he is a serial offender. Mm -hmm. Like, there weren't any other victims found or evidence tying him to missing persons on the property, but they do believe he has more victims. He fits the profile of a serial offender, and it's highly, highly unlikely that he went 26 years between the ab- attempted abduction of Robin Gardner and the murder of Sierra Joggin without any violent criminal activity. Their abductions were so similar. Uh-huh. Both were riding bikes. There was a screwdriver found. Like, yeah. Handcuffs were involved. There are so many missing persons. Mm-hmm. There's no way he is not guilty of no. hurting someone. When else. he had, like, that tub of. Lingerie. Yeah. Or, and and uh, had fucking kidnapping kits in his vehicle. He was looking for someone. Yeah. And Sierra just happened to be the person that he uh. picked. Like, it's... It could have been anybody, which is scary. It could uh-huh. have been anybody. Yeah. After Sierra's death, the Sierra Joggin Memorial Scholarship Fund was created. The scholarship is awarded to ev- um, graduates of Evergreen High School which is where Sierra graduated, Mm -hmm. um, that have participated in varsity sports. On December 6th, 2018, Sierra's law was passed. Um, It's similar to the sex offender registry, um, but in this one, it allows residents to request a search be performed at the sheriff's office that would provide them with more information about sex offenders living in their area. Mm -hmm. Sierra's mother, Sheila, and her aunt Tara created... Justice for Sarah, which is a nonprofit organization that teaches self-defense trainings for schools and organizations, as well as provides information on community safety topics and about Sierra's law. Uh-huh. And then a bit of really, really, like, this made me feel better. Um, in 2018, Wor- James Worley's property was awarded to the Joggin family. And they had that barn where Sierra had been held and assaulted demolished. It's Good. not there anymore. Good. And that is the murder of Sierra Jockin. Oh, wow. You know, I honestly could not remember at the beginning if you had said, like, this was the murder of Sierra Joggin. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you were talking about the barn and you said they found the wood with the hole in it and they opened it up and found as get ready to be like oh wait she was down there tied up gagged and beaten yeah. unfortunately but no i mean and it's there's never like a good way when that happens mm-hmm. but it's better to be found and be injured than not be found or be found and not be alive yes um, and that's really what they were hoping for like they knew if we find her in this hole she's not going to be okay mm-hmm. but she may still be alive Exactly. Do you know what the family, aside from get rid of the awful barn, what they did with the property? I don't know exactly if they did anything else mm-hmm. with it. I, they may just, like, not have anything on it. Yeah. Because this is a stretch of road. They were driving past this barn on their way to work. Oh. Like, knowing that is where their daughter, their friend, their sister mm-hmm. was held. I cannot imagine having to do that. No. On a daily basis. And it's it's sad. Her mom said, you know, she's like, the day that I found out that Sierra had been found dead, mm-hmm. she's like, the only relief that I got is that I had an answer and I wasn't going to have to spend another day waking up wondering where she was. But it also, like, having that answer also was, like, the end of her. 
Yeah. It's really upsetting. So I watching interviews with family members, especially parents, that does something to me. Oh, it gets me every and time. I, you know, there are a lot of times like I may not cry when I am delivering these cases. Uh-huh. But there are so many times when I'm watching this that are or reading the newspapers cuz again, newspapers.com is the best how however much the subscription is per year. The best, I think it's like $100. (laughs) Best $100 I've spent. Yeah. It's so informative. But there are times when I'm reading it, and it's just like, you get brought to tears because, again, I think about these people in their last moments because that's what they're remembered for. But then you have to realize, like, there's this whole life before Mm -hmm. this really bad thing, and that's what they're known for. And it's just, it's so upsetting to hear the family remember the life that they had before this terrible event that they're known for happened to them. <sighs> wow. That's the case. And I just want to go ahead and apologize for my next two cases, guys. No. They're really dark. So I'm saying sorry a few weeks in advance. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate each and every listener and every comment or email that we get because we yeah. love receiving those. Yes, yes. Um, do you want to tell them where they can find us? Yes. You can connect with us on Instagram at Monsters and Murder Pod, or you can email us at Monsters and Murder Pod at gmail.com. Yeah. Yay, I did it. Yay, you did it. <laughs> and you only had a bad coughing fit once. Which yes. you guys probably won't hear because we're going to try to cut it out. Exactly. Like I, I put up my hand and then let it out because I could not hold it in any longer. Yeah. You may have heard a little bell jingling. That's because Winnie has been bouncing around. Yeah. She was very curious partway through about the setup. Yeah. So anyway, um, if you guys are watching the Super Bowl, I hope your team wins. If you're not, I hope you do something nice and relaxing tomorrow. Enjoy the commercials. Yeah. I'm not even going to watch it. Me either. I'll catch any of them online that are really good. I'll be doing homework all day tomorrow. I'm going to try to fit a nap in. I haven't had one of those in a while. (laughs) Anyway, stay safe. Bye. Bye.